Last week we looked at the Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, that says that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus Christ. And so this morning I want us to think about that message, that truth, and I want us to go for a little treasure hunt together and see how that promise comes to life and, and how it is fulfilled by looking closely at the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus came into the world, he came to reveal the manifold wisdom of God. And we shouldn't forget that before he left, he commissioned the church to put that wisdom on display. So I think it's really important for us to understand what that means. Because only then, once we understand what that means, can we live faithfully out what God has called us to, to, be, to do and what he's called us to, to be. So as we enter the Christmas season and consider the coming of Christ into this world, what did he bring that impacts how we live? That's what I want us to think through this morning. And one of the gifts of, of Christ's coming was announced really early in his life in ministry. As he began preaching, Jesus announced, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus went all throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Now, as you hear that, I want you to recognize that Jesus first made that announcement in the synagogues. So whatever he was proclaiming was something that his Jewish audience was anticipating. They knew what he was talking about. They knew all about the the child that would be born, the son of David, the one who would establish that eternal kingdom according to that covenant promise. Daniel spoke of an ancient of days, the one who was appointed by God, given dominion and glory, and here it is again, a kingdom. Isaiah spoke of a child who would be born, a son who would be given and the government would be on his shoulders. In other words, he would have a kingdom. He would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The Old Testament is filled with hopeful anticipation of divine deliverance and an eternal kingdom. The Jews were eagerly awaiting that time. And so when Jesus announced the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he had their attention. But they had to listen to fully understand exactly what he had in mind. So before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you this morning, we want to have hearts that are soft, that are receptive, that are attentive, undistracted by the week behind, the week ahead whatever might be happening in this moment. Father, would you clear out the clutter? Help us see clearly from your word the truths of your coming and how that impacts our everyday life. Lord, that is our prayer, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So, as we learned, Solomon kind of divided up uh, his worldview in two perspectives. He talked about life under the sun, and then he spoke about life beyond the sun. 
It was his way of describing a worldly perspective versus a heavenly point of view. Life under the sun, as we learned, was vanity. It was futile. Only when you looked beyond the sun, only when Solomon could see beyond the limits of this world and put his trust in God, did he truly understand what it means to have purpose and meaning in life. Well, Jesus did something similar, but he often talked in terms of kingdoms. In John chapter 18, Jesus is being confronted by Pilate during his trial, not too long before his death. And it was in this confrontation that that Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And I want you to listen to how Jesus responded to that question in John chapter 18, verse 36. It says that Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Pilate therefore said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born and for this I come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So Jesus, in his answer, really identifies two kingdom realms, one worldly, one heavenly, which he claims that he came from. That worldly realm is filled with sin and darkness. Paul tells the Ephesians that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, and against, here it is, the world forces of darkness. So this worldly realm is a domain of darkness. The heavenly realm is a kingdom of light. That God, John said that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. The heavenly realm is filled with righteousness and truth. And so when Christ came into the world, he brought that righteousness and truth into a world of sin and darkness. Isaiah prophesied the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. Jesus even said, I have come as light into the world so that whoever believes in me will no longer remain in darkness. That's why Paul tells the Colossians that when we put our faith in Christ, you have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into a new kingdom, the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. The life of Christ reveals the heavenly truths that are otherwise hidden. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ and they became known to this world when he came into this world. But those truths have entered into enemy territory. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 31, that judgment is upon the world and that the ruler of this world will be cast out. 
So this worldly realm, this domain of darkness, is ruled by an evil influence. I want us to look at that together. Turn, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. So go back past Corinthians, 1st, 2nd, Galatians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to listen to how Paul describes this world in chapter 2, verse 1 of Ephesians. He says, As you, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. First of all, I want you to understand when it says that you walked according to the course of this world, it means that you ascribe to the values of this world. It's what we saw in our study of Ecclesiastes with Solomon. He ascribed to the values of this world. He walked according to the course of this world when he indulged in pleasures of of wealth and success. And they all left him feeling empty. The value of the pursuits of this world are limited to life in this world, life under the sun, and they have limited value because every time we pursue, like Solomon, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the mind, they have limited effect, and they always leave us longing for something more. But not only it says, do you walk according to the course of this world, it also says that you live under the influence of the ruler of this world. He's described here as the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. This is Satan and his demonic forces. So this worldly realm is ruled by Satan's influence. And Satan's tactics are very clear. The Bible has different descriptors. He's called a liar. He's called a deceiver. He's called a thief. John says that he came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's his mission. And we see the evidence of that truth as far back as the Garden of Eden from the very beginning. Satan worked his deception to convince Adam and Eve that God was withholding something good from them. He led them to a a sin that became a barrier in their relationship with their Creator. He lied. He lied about the consequences of their sinful choices. And what he did with Adam and Eve, he continues to do all throughout the world today. But Jesus has a very different goal in mind. He said that he came that we might have life. And not just average life. He says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And here's what's interesting about his rule. When he spoke to his disciples, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven, which we would expect. That's the realm from which he came. But he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So that means the rule of Christ extends into the worldly realm, which is why he cast out demons. 
which is why he had power over disease and even death, raising those from the dead. Jesus had power to overcome the effects of Satan and sin. And if Satan came to, to steal and to kill and to destroy, Jesus came to heal, to restore, and to redeem. Even though he was a king, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus gave up his heavenly privileges to fulfill an earthly mission. John made, or Paul made that clear to Timothy when he says, it is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's the mission. So we have these two kingdom realms, these two kingdom uh, rulers, if you will, two kingdom influences, and then we finally have two kingdom realities. This is where some of those kingdom parables that Jesus told really come in handy. So let's look at one of those together. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, and I want you to begin reading with me in verse 24. This is a series of parables that Jesus will tell, speaking specifically about the kingdom, which would make sense since he's announced that he has come to bring that kingdom. So see what we can learn from what Jesus had to say, beginning in uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Verse 24, he presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. And while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares also among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner came to him and said, Sir, do you not sow, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares or weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slave said to him, do you want us to, then to, to go and gather them up? He said, no, lest while you're gathering up the tares, you might root up the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first, gather up the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. First thing I want you to notice about this parable that I think is interesting is that the heavenly kingdom includes an earthly reality. Because Jesus is describing citizens of both kingdoms living together in this world, the wheat and the tares. If you know anything about wheat and tares, at least initially, they look very similar to one another. Which is why the landowner instructs the, the workers not to pull them up, but to instead to allow them to mature so that they can produce fruit ready for harvest. And once that fruit is visible, then you can tell them apart. In the parable, it's, it's, it's the way Jesus is saying that how we live will eventually reveal to whom we belong. The other thing we notice is that they will not live together 
forever. Do you see that? There is a time, says Jesus in this parable, when the wheat and the tares will be separated, and one is destined for destruction, the other place which God has prepared. Now, let's look at the next parable to give us some more information. Verse 31, he presented another parable to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, and this is smaller than any other seed. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and nest in its branches. Here we see that the kingdom, although starting small, will reach out like branches. It will become a place of refuge, benefiting those around them, giving them a a safe place. So we see these two kingdom realities coexisting and yet distinguished by their citizens. In the worldly kingdom, we see disobedience and indulgence, slaves to selfish desires, those who are ruled by sin and live under the influence of Satan. They they can be overtly evil or they can be decent people just living very selfish lives. But those in the heavenly kingdom, those who are citizens of heaven, look to Christ as their king. They submit their lives to his will. They're committed to his purpose. They live under his authority. Their life is centered around fulfilling his mission. As citizens of heaven, they are strangers and aliens in this worldly realm because this is not their home. Two kingdom realities, coexisting but distinguished by their citizens. Two kingdom rulers who extend their influence with two very different outcomes in mind. Two kingdom realms brought together by the coming of Christ, but they will not exist together forever. There will be a day when that separation is final and complete. When the ruler of this world, when Satan is cast out, when sin is destroyed, when God reigns eternal and he makes all things new. The coming of Christ is what makes all of that possible. And so to better understand where we're living right now, I want us to go back to the garden, if you will. I want us to go back to to Adam and Eve living in paradise. As we know, they were flourishing in their fellowship with God and his faithful provision for their lives. But then Satan comes in and he convinces them that there's something better, get this, outside the realm of God's care. And they chose to walk away. And now, we live in that realm. And I don't think there's anybody here that believes this is paradise, right? And so Jesus, Jesus in the form of that baby, he would grow and preach a message of the coming kingdom. Jesus enters into this broken world to invite us back into the paradise of God's faithful provision. 
Learning to walk in fellowship with God through a relationship restored through the forgiveness of sins because of a sacrifice on the cross. Trusting in His goodness. Relying on His promises. See, in the end, both Satan and Jesus are promising something better. You just have to decide which one you're going to believe. And since Satan has proven himself to be a deceiver, I would suggest you not follow him. Remember, when Adam and Eve were in paradise, Satan tempted them with worldly pleasures, pleasures outside the realm of God's faithful provision. And it proved to be a destructive deception. But Jesus, Jesus came into the world to to restore what sin has broken. It was Jesus, think about this, who told the thief on the cross as he made a profession of faith in Jesus as the one who said who he was. He told that thief, today you'll be with me where? In paradise. See, Satan is trying to convince us that this world is paradise. (laughs) That this world is where we flourish and where we find fulfillment. He wants us to believe that life is better apart from God. And like I said, he did that to us once. Don't let him do it to you again. Jesus came into this world to rescue sinners from Satan's deception. He came into this world to set us free from sin and the consequences of eternal separation from a loving God. This is the good news of those kingdom promises. And they are just as valid in our world today as they have ever been. And so with that in mind, I want us to look at one more of those kingdom promises that Jesus made. We're going to go back to Nazareth, okay, where Jesus grew up. And I want you to go back into the synagogue where Jesus was at that day. And as we know, it was his custom to go into the synagogue. So he goes into the synagogue of Nazareth, his hometown, and he's asked to teach. And he was given a scroll with a passage from Isaiah that they've asked him to read. So let's enter into that in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And let's see what Jesus has to say when given this opportunity. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. says in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, And Jesus returned to Galilee, and the power of the Spirit, and news about Him spread through all the surrounding district. And He began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up. And as was His custom, He entered the synagogue and on the Sabbath stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Let me just pause here and tell you that there was like a liturgical calendar, okay, where certain passages were read on certain days. And it just so happened by coincidence, not a coincidence, spoiler alert, that Jesus read from the book of Isaiah. And this was the day that he would speak to his people from in his own hometown. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. These words from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me 
preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. (laughs) He gave it to the attendant. He sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. These are the kingdom realities of Christ's coming. Isaiah spoke of a kingdom that would bring a message of good news. And notice that it was a message of good news to the poor. I don't want you to think just poor financially, although that certainly applies. I want you to think about the poor spiritually, which is why Jesus, when he was given the Sermon on the Mount, said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, get this, is the kingdom of heaven. See, the poor are people who have an unmet need, people who are longing for something more. And so that promise of good news came to those who knew they had a great need. It's a promise of release to the captives. People who were held in bondage to something from which they could not break free. It gives sight to the blind. Those distracted by the deception and and oppressed by empty promises all throughout this world. Jesus read these kingdom promises and he said, today, today they have been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, the kingdom has come and God's will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. Christmas is the celebration of the coming of Christ and the fulfillment of his kingdom promises. And when you trust in Christ, you enter into the kingdom promises right now. You live in the realm of God's beloved Son in whom you have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. You are chosen. You are beloved. You are holy and protected by the promise of His faithful care. Let me close with this illustration. I want you to think back to when you were a kid and you got up on Christmas morning and you saw the tree surrounded by presents and let's say you're older, 10, 11, so you have a pretty good idea of what's in those gifts because each year you get new socks, (laughs) some clean underwear, right? Probably a new pair of jeans, all necessary for everyday living. You were grateful for those things because you needed those things. But what you really, really wanted was not under the tree. It was a bike in the driveway. That's what you really wanted. Well, in a similar way, as a child of God, you receive all the promises that are necessary for everyday life. Christ's coming, the Bible says, has equipped you with everything you need for life and godliness. And and it tells us, too, that we've been given a new wardrobe. It says, take off the old self and and put on the new self. 
It says, clothe yourself with love. Let the peace that, that comes from Christ rule in your heart. Why? Because He's a king. And we live in submission to His authority, carrying out His purposes in the world. It says, let the message of Christ in all its richness fill your life. That is a kingdom promise that is made possible the moment you put your faith in Christ. And so we should live out those Christmas realities, if you will, every single day. But just remember, the best is yet to come. Because the gift of eternal life in the loving presence of a holy God is what our heart longs for most. In fact, it's what all this earth groans for. It says that all creation groans. Like us, it longs for God to complete what He has begun so that all things are made new. Paradise restored, if you will. That's what we long for most. Now, the Bible says, we see dimly, but then face to face. And so I don't want you to lose sight of the beauty and goodness of the gifts of God made possible in your everyday life because of the coming of Christ. His kingdom has come. He rules eternal, and nothing can ever change that. some ways, there is no war because the battle's been won and the completion will continue unhindered because of the authority of God as the creator of this world who will accomplish all that he came to do. And we have the privilege to be a part of that process in the world in which we live today, which is not our home. And so the less we can grab a hold of all that this world has to offer, and the more we can live for something greater and something better because of all that we have in Christ, the more we'll experience the fulfillment of what it means to be a child of God. There is great freedom when we stop living for ourselves and live for the good of others around us. And when we think about Christmas in the blessing that we get from giving gifts. to I told Terry this weekend, I'm the worst gift giver ever because I can't wait till Christmas. I came home yesterday with a gift that I was so excited to give Terry on Christmas. I couldn't do it. I gave it to her yesterday <laughs> because there's no greater blessing than when you give of something of yourself for the good of someone else. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a child of our reigning king, that is what we are called to spend our life doing. So let me encourage you to live out the victory that has been won. And there is a battle going on in this world, but not in our hearts, because it has been accomplished in the lives of those who trust him. Now, there are certainly those who live in enemy territory that are still distracted by Satan's deception, and we are on a rescue mission because we are called to fulfill what Christ began 
and what he will complete. And we are given the privilege in the meantime to be a part of his army, to rescue the souls of men for the praise and glory of our king, the resurrected Christ. Amen? So let me pray for us, and then I have an announcement to make. Lord, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for the reminder that when you came, you came to announce the coming of your kingdom. And when you came, that kingdom was established. And those who live in your kingdom are ruled by your kingdom promises. They're flooded by your goodness and mercy and love and all the rich blessings of what it means to be a child of God, beloved, chosen, and holy. And it is complete. And we want to live in the increasing understanding of how that relates to our everyday lives. Lord, give us grace and mercy as we grow in that understanding. And Lord, may we never lose sight that it's not just about us, but it's about the world around us. And like that tree, our branches should reach far and wide to be a safe place to provide harbor and refuge and ultimately the saving message of faith in Christ alone. And that enemy who intends to steal and kill and destroy has no power over the king who now rules over heaven and earth. And so may we extend to those lost in that battle for sin the freedom from sin's control through faith in Christ alone. And may we preach and live and proclaim that message to the uttermost parts of the world. Father, thank you for the coming of your Son as we celebrate all you've accomplished and remind ourselves how you became one with us, to dwell among us, to put the heavenly truths on display. And may we faithfully display that manifold wisdom of God to the world in which we live until you call us home. And all God's people said... Amen. We believe it.